Welcome, everybody, to the Purple Knights podcast. And this edition uh, now is going to be about the uh, the future of of academia as it relates to print. And we know, especially since 2017, there have been a lot of different uh, academic events that have gone on, symposia and other things like that. So to talk about that subject, I'm joined today by D'Angelo Duff, who is a professor in integrated design and media at NYU Tandon, and also associate vice provost at at uh, New York University. That is correct. So okay, so I'm very excited to talk to you. Um, the idea of Prince as an academic subject is very uh, interesting to me because I've always been very uh, involved in education. I've gone to school in some shape or form ever since I was two years old. So um, I officially stopped being a student in about 2015. But as you know, in life, we never really stop learning. So we're always perpetually students in my estimation, but uh, the academic world has always been very interesting to me and combining that with the passion of my Prince fandom is very, very cool and a, a subject that I can very, very much sink my teeth into. So I'm very uh, honored to have you on today to talk about some of your work and passion projects and also the future of Prince Academia going forward. Um, so let's just start out a little bit about with your history as maybe a fan of Prince and also your history in academia and how those two sort of converge. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Sure. So um, my first Prince album that I heard was Dirty Mind, and I was 10 years old. And um, obviously, I didn't really know what I was listening to in terms of the sexual content. Um, but actually, what compelled me to listen to the album was the cover. Um, the cover spoke volumes to me because um, I knew that this was a guy who did whatever he wanted, whenever he wanted. Um, and growing up as a Black Southern woman in Alabama, um, there were a lot of restrictions, um, particularly since I was raised by my grandparents, you know, of what a good girl should do, what a, a good Southern belle should do. And uh, Prince wasn't doing any of that. <laughs> so... He really stood out to me. And um, from then on, I was I was really hooked. Um, I first I saw my first Prince concert um, was Prince's 1999 tour, um, where Vanity Six and the Time opened up for him. And I saw that in Birmingham, Alabama, and I was 12. Um, when I saw that show, I was incredibly lucky to see that show because my mom told me, if she would have known who Prince was, I would not have gotten to that show. But I got to the show because my aunt and uncle took me and they were um, at the time in their early 20s. So they were excited to see Prince and um, they were like, sure, we'll we'll take her. <laughs> so <laughs> I got to, to I got to see that as my my first Prince concert. In terms of my academic history, um, I've been teaching um, since 1999. Um, there's a little Prince tie-in for you. Um, but I started at the University of the Arts in Philadelphia. And um, prior to joining academia, I was a designer and art director of websites. Um, I am very proud to have worked on the first two iterations of davidboy.com David and I was the art director on the second one. And what that meant is that David Bowie personally selected my design and I art directed a lot of other designers to 
realized my vision. <clears throat> and actually, David Bowie is really the reason I went into academia, because <clears throat> one of the things he told me was, usually when you do client work, you get a lot of feedback from clients, you know, make it bigger, change that, this and that. And David Bowie told me, he was like, I would not tell you. He said, I would not want you to come in the studio and tell me what to do. So I'm not going to tell you what to do when it comes to come to your design. And he didn't tell me to change one thing, not one thing. So I had absolute freedom. And I've never had that opportunity with any other client in my entire life. And after that, I was just kind of done with client work because I just had all this freedom with David Bowie. And I miss art school where there was a lot of creativity. Um, and so I decided to um, have my salary cut in less than half, um, but return uh, to academia because it's so rewarding. Like my alumni are my legacy and I have some pretty amazing alumni. So that's kind of how I I got into academia, but um, Prince came along be in terms of the intersection between academia and Prince is because I've always, everything that I've ever done is, has always intersected with music in some sort of way. Like my first job was at a record store uh, with Camelot Music. There was a record store that used to be called Camelot. And um, when I worked in industry, um, my dream job was, you know, actually designing record covers, and I was able to freelance for LaFace Records. Um, so I was able to design some record covers um, for, like, Casey Haley of Jodeci and Donnell Jones, which was um, a LaFace sign artist. And so I... Um, I did, I did a couple of others, but um, those are the ones that come to mind right now. And then when I started teaching, um, I, well, I guess, let, let me go back. So when I first started listening to Prince, um, I grew up in a household uh, with my aunt and two uncles and my aunt and uncle, that's the same aunt and uncle who took me to the 1999 tour. And they were huge music fans. Um, they collected a lot of music and I was able to listen to all kinds of music when I was little. So I would listen, to, um, they were listening to The Who, like Edgar Winter, Zeppelin, Pink Floyd, Hendrix, um, P-Funk, um, Slave, like just so many just incredible artists. Um, and so I grew up around music. Music was always on my uncle or my aunt. They were always playing music. So in my teens, I became a little, uh, little record collector. Like I love collecting um, vinyl um, and then eventually um, into CDs. And the reason why I mentioned this is that um, in the mid 2000s, I started an online radio show um, just to sort of justify my record buying habits, because um, I've spent a lot of money on records, so much so, in fact, that I remember this guy, I had a birthday party, my one and only birthday party when I turned 31, and this a friend of a friend came, you know, with a friend of mine, and when he came into my apartment, he didn't say hello. He was like, oh, my God, you could have bought a house with all of this music. Like, why are you buying all this music? Like, he just could not understand why I was buying all this music. And I was like, you know, music is super important to me. It's the reason why I get out of bed every morning. Um, I, I mean, other people spend their money on cigarettes and alcohol and going to the clubs and all that kind of stuff. I spend my money on records. <laughs> it's just kind of what I do. So um, when I started teaching, I, I, I still wanted a musical outlet. So I started my radio show in the mid 2000s and it lasted until 2016. And 2016 is when I started podcasting. And I actually, my very first podcast was for um, essentially Under the Cherry Moon Parade because Under the Cherry Moon is my, my, very, um, my favorite Prince narrative film. And um, we did it in March of 2016. So this is when obviously Prince was still alive, but 
I love this podcast called The Music Snobs. And um, I don't know that there wasn't any, what a quote unquote, Southern podcast that I knew of, meaning like Southern folks um, that talked about the kind of music that I wanted to talk about. So I reached out to my high school prince friend. His name is Ricky Wyatt, and he was already podcasting with Grown Folks Music. And um, I met Ivan Orr, who is who does a lot of different podcasts for Grown Folks Music. And we and I was like, I want to start podcasting about Prince because um, I just love talking about Prince. So we started that pod- podcast in March of 2016. And um, Vanity had just died and um, also known as Denise Matthews. So I remember on this first podcast, I was saying how it's so important to, you know, just give all the people in the Purple Kingdom their flowers. I did not have, I didn't have any idea that like within a month, um, you know, it was going to be Prince, which it's really kind of devastating. So when that happened, I actually stopped listening to music for about six months. I mean, not even Prince's music. I just couldn't listen to music anymore. Um, And it was kind of terrifying because um, music is the only way that I know how to cope with life. And so if music can't get me through, I just didn't know what I was going to do. Uh, But luckily, um, after six months of mourning, I was able to uh, want to listen to music again. And I started podcasting heavily. And then the podcast turned into the symposia. Um, but I can talk more about that transition. That's great, though, that, that music has been such a integral part of your, part of your life. And uh, because I've had similar experiences you know growing up um i actually remember i was i was born in 1980 so i'm a dirty mind baby really but uh (laughs) i actually remember music from when i was younger like really young better than i do my uh pre-teen and teen years so i really appreciate 80s music and because of my brother I appreciate uh classic rock you know so all those bands you were talking about earlier that you grew up with I appreciate those bands as well um I've been a Prince fan ever since I was three years old 1983 here in Little Red Corvette on the radio um and of course you know you were talking about how you were young too young to really grasp the lyrical content of the music but for me I was also too young to grasp that but what really hooked me was the the vocal uh intensity that Prince uh displayed and also the melodies as well um so I I was basically hooked on Prince by the age of three so yeah and music in general plays a very important part of my life I feel kind of embarrassed admitting that I haven't really listened to contemporary music since about 1995 so um, I'm a little out of touch as far as you know newer artists are concerned but um yeah, music is a big part of my life as well, and it's it's definitely a coping mechanism for me as well to get through life. And I had that morning period as well where I wasn't able to listen to uh, Prince's music as much as I'd like. Usually, I tend to listen to Prince at least once a day, uh, every day. So for me, that was quite a quite a uh, difference as far as you know in the morning period where I wasn't able to really uh, connect with the music and you know vibe to it like I usually do but yeah I had a similar experience with that as well and um, yeah if 
if the listeners and viewers, if you're watching on YouTube or listening on blogtalkradio.com or Apple Podcasts or Spotify, D'Angelo's website is polishedsolid.com. So go there and uh, check out all of her work. And she DJs as well. So that's pretty interesting. I, I thought that was really cool when I read that. And of course, the Grown Folks Music Podcast. And you produce uh, Prince content for them. So that's very cool. And, uh, and of course, the academic symposia that you've been, not only that you've organized, but that you've participated in uh various symposia since 2017 and i want to give a shout out to uh kirsty faircloth and dr mike olin i hope i'm pronouncing your last name right sir but uh they uh held the uh i believe it was the purple rain conference that is correct r-i-g-n Yes, Purple Rain, IGN, uh, in in the UK in 2017. And then they recently held the virtual conference, Prince 78 to 88, which uh, the only presentation I was able to see live that very first day was yours. Oh, wow. Uh, and I really, really loved it. And I really was struck by it. So that's when the gears started turning to really reach out to you and get you on this podcast. So I'm very, very grateful that that, uh, that goal was realized today. But yeah, um, and the symposia that you've curated yourself is very, are very, very, very cool. Um, they're basically centered around anniversaries of different albums and eras. Is that right? That is correct. You're absolutely right. Um, I can, if you're interested, I can tell you how um, it kind of started. Okay. Yes. So, um, so I actually, I spoke at both of those previous um, Kirsty and, and Mike's um, conferences. Um, I went to Purple Rain and I spoke about Under the Cherry Moon. And um, for the 7888, I spoke about um, Prince and Smoke, <laughs> more, more specifically spoke from like the dry ice machines and how prevalent it was, particularly, particularly during controversy in um, 1999. I just, I just love um, Prince and Smoke, but that's a whole nother thing. When I, when I started uh, telling all my Prince friends what I wanted to talk about at 7888, they thought I was crazy. They were like, what are you talking about? I was like, I'll, I'll show you. <laughs> so I'm glad that the talk got um, a really good reception because a lot of uh, my Prince friends thought I was a little crazy. Anyway, um, when when 1980 and 1987, which is this, you know, like it was like June, actually a month after the Purple Rain um, conference, um, the Revolution played Webster, Webster Hall um, in New York, and I had already seen them twice um, at First Avenue that fall um, when they did three nights in a row. And I was essentially trying to see the revolution whenever I could, um, or this, this, this go around. Anyway, I was walking out of the venue and I saw a Prince friend say hello and she was with another friend. And they were like, we're gonna go get something to eat. Why don't you come with us? So I was like, sure. So um, this friend that I met, her name was Mabel, Mabel Ivory. And, um, I was telling her that what I really wanted to do was watch Princess Sign the Times at NYU with a few friends um, because I hadn't seen it on the big screen in so long. So I wanted to kind of just reserve a room and watch it on some really good speakers. And she was like, why do you want to do that when it could be so much bigger? And I was like, 
okay. <laughs> she was like, let's invite, you know, let's invite the public. Let's, you know, let's just make it a really big event. You know, Prince deserves this. And so I was able to get along with her and Deanna and another guy named Ron Worthy, um, who um, runs sohead.com. You know, we pulled our resources and um, we were able to advertise and turn it around in probably two or three weeks. We, we held the event at NYU. Um, and what I was able to do was invite what I, what, who I call now the core four, which are Zaire Ali, Anil Dash, Miles Marshall-Lewis, and Elliot Powell. They're the core four because they were there at the very beginning for the Sun the Times event. At the time, I didn't know them very well. Like I knew, like I had had conversations um, with a couple of them, um, but actually all of them in some capacity. Um, but I knew they were purple nerds, like huge, like I. And so it was a really great event and people loved it. And a week or two later, I was at a Maite book signing um, in Tribeca um, at a Barnes and Noble. And a lot of people who had attended it, but they were coming up to me and they were saying, well, what are you gonna do next? Cause I hadn't even thought about it. I mean, I just really thought it was gonna be kind of like a one and done kind of thing. Um, Cause Sign of Times is one of my favorite eras. But when I realized that people actually really appreciate it, and enjoy the event, I realized that I should do another one, especially because the next year, um, 1988 is the year of Love Sexy and Love Sexy is my favorite tour, which I was able to see twice in Atlanta. And so the, the little small event, like one panel and a screening turned into a proper um, symposium. And I was able to get Kat Glover to speak, Dr. Fink to speak, and Ingrid Chavez. And what was really fantastic about Ingrid is that I asked her if she would recite the opening lines to Love Sexy, Rain is Wet, Sugar is Sweet. Um, and she agreed to do it, uh, which was really, really fantastic. She hadn't done that, um, as far as I know, you know, since the recitation of it on the album. And a couple of days before the event, Chuck Swicky, who um, was a sound engineer for Prince, um, more predominantly for the, you know, the Batman soundtrack, he said he wanted to come to the event. He was going to he wanted to bring Joan Blaney, who was uh, one of the main engineers on Love Sexy. And I was thrilled. Um, I always love talking to the sound engineers. So um, after Kat, Dr. Fink and Ingrid, spoke. Um, we had Joe Blaney and Chuck Swicky. And then we had, you know, talks, um, presentations essentially from academics, um, like it's sort of the, what, what we've been doing since. So that was the first one, first print symposium, but actually a week before that, I had another symposium for Betty Davis, the musician, not the actress, uh, the ex-wife of Miles Davis, because her um, documentary had just come out and I was able to get the director, Phil Cox, to do a Q&A after we screened the documentary. And we also had four different talks uh, for that symposium, um, including Greg Tate, um, who is very, very well known um, in, in music circles amongst others. So I basically had two symposia back to back one one week and another one the next week which I'll never do again because it was too much but it's a long story the Betty Davis was um, actually scheduled at a different time but the director who's based in the UK was already going to be in the states so in order to sort of cut costs and and work with this timeline, we have to move it up. So I didn't plan it that way. It just sort of happened that way. So I don't recommend doing two in-person events back to back. <laughs> it was not fun, but it, it, um, it actually turned out pretty okay. Yeah, you mentioned the core four who I'm connected to on Twitter, but I haven't really uh, 
interacted with them. I don't know them too well, but I'm honored to be connected with them on Twitter. Um, I've probably interacted with Neil the most out of the four, uh, but that's not saying a lot because there's just been a few comments and a few like tweets here and there, but yeah, they're very, very cool people. Um, I also want to do, want to give shout outs to several people that are doing very, very valuable intellectual work about Prince. Uh, Kanisa Williams, who is on the Muse to the Pharaoh podcast. Scott Woods, the writer from Columbus, Ohio, who's written a book of essays, uh, Prince and Weird Little Black Boy Gods. Uh, that came out in 2018. Uh, shout out to Scott Woods, Jonathan Harwell, and Reverend Katrina Jenkins, uh, who put together, edited a volume on theology and Prince. Uh, so there's lots of work being done with Prince's life and work from a theological perspective. Uh, in that same vein, Erica Thompson also from Columbus, Ohio, is working on a uh, massive volume about, about faith in Prince's work and how it drove his life and work. I'm very much looking forward to that. Uh, there was a book in 2018 by Joseph Vogel that's a very good primer for intellectual discussion on Prince, and that is uh, this Thing Called Life by Joseph Vogel, not to be confused with the Neil Carlin book with a similar title, but uh, all these folks are doing great work as far as promoting intellectual discussion of Prince, and I also wanted to lastly give a shout out to DJ UMB from the UK and Edgar Cruz, the Dutch fan, Dutch Prince fan on Twitter that curate the Prince Twitter threads that are very, very informative and very in-depth. And I had the honor of participating in one of those recently. I did a thread on All Day, All Night from the Joe Jones self-titled album from 1987. So I was very honored and very happy to participate in that and also shout out to Arun Saldana uh, of course organized the Prince from Minneapolis Symposium in 2018 which I had the honor of presenting at I presented a paper on Prince's eschatology in 1999 Purple Rain uh, so I had the honor of doing that. And there's just so many people doing such great intellectual work on and about Prince. And of course, I consider D'Angela a big part of that with this symposia that she's organized and curated. Uh, the last one you did was one plus one plus one is three, which was in honor of the 20th anniversary of the Rainbow Children album. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yes, before I do though, there are a couple. Um, one book I really want to highlight um, that Kirstie and Mike, they have yes. a volume called Prince and Popular Music, Critical Perspectives um, on an Interdisciplinary Life. I actually contribute an essay um, in that volume about Under the Cherry Moon. Um, it came out in 2020. And actually, Kirstie and Mike, they're uh, working on an upcoming um, um, academic journal called, um, they're doing like a special edition called Interactions Journal, Dream Factories, Prints, Sign of the Times, Box Sets, and Cultural Artifacts. And I'll also have an essay in that one as well. Okay, wonderful. Yes, yes, they're very good, very good, very valuable additions to the uh, the the growing canon of of Prince studies, the burgeoning the burgeoning uh, academic field of Prince studies. 
Yes, and there's one more I also like to give a shout out to um, Celie McGinnis, who often speaks at my symposia. Um, he had um, he used to edit a a journal called Black Magnolias, and there was a special prints edition where I had an essay, um, Michael Gonzalez, um, Robert Loss. Um, so you can um, actually, if you search for it, like Black Magnolias um, journal. Prince edition, you can read it for free online. Yeah, that sounds very, very cool. I will definitely do that and definitely urge my viewers and listeners to look that up as well. Um, and <laughs> D'Angelo, thank you very much for picking up the slack because I wanted to mention all these all these sources that you're bringing up and, and you're sort of helping me out with that. So thank you very much for the assist. Of course, of course. Um, so as far as one plus one plus one is three, it essentially was for, um, as you said, 20 years of the Rainbow Children, 30 years of um, Diamonds and Pearls, and um, I can't believe, and 40 years of controversy. So the reason why um, I did all three is because I just couldn't choose between, like if I only had to do one, well, if, to be honest, if I only had to do one, it would have been controversy. But um, I really, I got a lot, particularly from Kanisa and others, they really wanted the Rainbow Children and I totally understood why. And um, Elliot Powell, part of Core 4, he was like, you better do a symposium about Diamonds and Pearls because I really didn't want to do one on Diamonds and Pearls only because it's, it's one of Prince's most successful projects. And I really try to focus on Prince's albums that don't get talked about um, enough. Um, but I decided to do all three. And it turned out that a lot of the speakers actually wanted to talk about Diamonds and Pearls, which I found fascinating. So most people wanted to talk about Diamonds and Pearls. Second was the Rainbow Children and controversy actually came in third. So I, I actually had to beg people to talk about controversy, which I thought was just, I, it just really shocked me. I was like, really? But um, it, it, it was, you know, it turned out to be really, really awesome. In terms of controversy, we were able to talk to Dr. Fink and Peggy McCreary, Peggy Mack, you know, as most people, Caller. And then for Diamonds and Pearls, I had the distinct pleasure of talking to Scott McCullough, who directed, was either the cinematographer or the director of videos um, for Prince around that time. He was like so incredible and so generous. And then for the Rainbow Children, I was able to talk to um, the cover artist, Kababi Bayak, as well as Afshin Shahidi the photographer, as well as um, Sam Jennings, who did a lot of the design work. So those were the keynotes. And because we had, it was a three-day symposium and each day was dedicated to one of those three albums. And we had roundtable discussions as well as um, talks for each of the albums. So we had eight talks a piece, eight presentations on um, Diamonds and Pearls and um, the Rainbow Children. And we have four presentations about controversy. And then we also had um, a round table, one of my favorite round tables ever. We always do round tables, but one of my favorites uh, for the Times debut. Um, and on that round table was Michael Dean and he was just hilarious. Um, it's, it's just such a great time. If you if you want to have a great time, watch the 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 time um, roundtable from one plus one plus one is three. Um, so that was the symposium that I did this year. But I did do a couple of other events um, after that. Um, so we did a Welcome to America virtual celebration, where we have four different takes um, of, from the album, four different roundtable discussions about the album. One was a Euro take, which was, which was really exciting for me. We had um, Casey Rain. Everybody should know who Casey Rain is of the Violet Reality, if you're into your Prince um, people. And then we also had Kirsty. We had Karen Gabay, who is um, BBC Manchester. Um, 
radio personality. We had Edgar Cruz of the Prince Twitter threads, and we had DJ UMB, which was, or DJ Um, <laughs> I, I call him DJ UMB. Um, and I'm sure I'm missing, oh yes, and Hasit um, Shah, who is a UK journalist. So they did like the, the Euro take, and then we had the core four, um, so, so plus me, plus, so we did a take on it. Then we had an all-female panel take on it, which was um, Kanisa Williams, um, Tanya Pendleton, who is a music journalist, Rhonda Nicole, who's also a music journalist and singer. Um, and I feel like I'm missing somebody. I know I'm missing somebody um, else, which I feel really bad about. So I am going to quickly look that up so I don't um, get hate mail and see. And let's see. So let's see. it was, oh my God, I can't believe. It. So Erica Thompson and Miss TLC. Um, and Miss TLC, everyone should know from Prince Anniversaries. So we had like an all-female panel. And we also had another panel of guys, um, Nicolay, who's one of my favorite producers, but also a massive Prince fan. Harold Pride, who's my brother and love sexy. Um, Arthur Turnbull, who's one of the music snobs. Ricky Wyatt, who I do um, the Grown Folks Music Podcast with. Scott Woods. Um, so that was also an incredible conversation. And then to end that event, I was able to talk to Mathieu Baton, who was a designer of the Welcome to America um, set. And he did an incredible job. And everyone should know Mathieu because he's a massive Prince fan, but he's also an extraordinary photographer and designer in his own right. So um, that happened over the summer. And then... Um, Two or three weeks ago, I co-produced an event with the PRN Alumni Foundation. Um, it was their five-year anniversary, and we centered it around Princess the Truth, um, which was a record store day release. Um, and so we had four different talks, um, a roundtable with the core four, and me and Arthur from the Music Snobs. And then we had a really fantastic panel of everybody who worked on um, the truth. So we had um, Jackie Thompson, who was, um, you know, working with Prince during the, the, the truth's time. And we had the extraordinary uh, Rhonda Smith, who is, you know, bassist extraordinaire. Uh, we had, you know, Mike Scott, who played on the guitar. We had um, Kat Dyson on guitar, Steve Park, um, who was doing art and photography around that time. Hans Martin Buff, who was the engineer of that record, um, he did a phenomenal job. And the moderator for that panel was Alan Light, um, who is a music journalist, but also an author, author and he wrote a book about um, Prince. So, um, the, so I did basically three events um, this year, in addition to speaking um, at other folks' events. Yeah, and then you've, Upcoming, you've you're you're not slowing down. You've still got got uh, more stuff coming up. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, Sexy MF, which is scheduled to happen in March, I believe. Yes, and then yeah. also the Triple Threat Symposium, which is going to happen later in the fall next year. Can you tell us a little bit about those? Sure. So. Um... Putting on these symposia, um, they take a lot out of me because technically I'm an introvert um, by nature. And um, so in doing these events is a lot of work because I have to do it, you know, on the weekends and after hours, um, blah, blah, blah. And so I really try to only do one, but Kanisa uh, convinced me that we cannot let next year go by without doing a love symbol symposia. I didn't want to combine it with um, the triple threat because it just didn't make any sense because we're already talking about three different albums for the triple threat symposium. And for those of you who don't know, but you should know, <laughs> the triple threat um, is essentially the Vanity, Vanity Six's only record. And then the time second album, what time is it? And then Prince's 1999. 
So for um, the SEXIMF symposium, well, SEXIMF 30 symposium, we're gonna focus on the Love Symbol album. And originally I wanted it to be one day, but I don't think uh, one day is gonna uh, be enough for everything that I want to be talked about. So it's probably gonna be a two days and it's gonna be virtual. And it would be the last weekend in March. I haven't even really pr started promoting it. So this is essentially an exclusive because nobody really knows um, when, because I, I, I try not to advertise too far in advance, but um, yeah, it's gonna definitely be the last weekend in March, that Saturday and Sunday. And um, there'll be the usual suspects. And for the one in the fall, I'm really trying to do it hybrid, but I don't know. It all depends on COVID. And by hybrid, I mean having it predominantly in person, but um, having some speakers speak virtually if they can't you know, make it to New York, um, but also involving the audience more. Prior to COVID and before I pivoted to virtual symposia, um, when they were in person, so I did Love Sexy in person and I did Bat Dance at Spelman College in Atlanta, Georgia in 20, 2019. Um, you know, when, when I was doing them in person, I, well, at least the Love Sexy one, as well as the Betty Davis one, I live streamed them. So anybody in the world could actually watch it in real time. Um, I remember for Love Sexy, we had like 3000 people on the live stream in, in real time. But since doing the virtual symposia, depending on the platform I've used, it's much more interactive versus a live stream. So I really wanna keep that interactive component for virtual audiences, but it really depends on, you know, what COVID does because they've already announced a new strain of COVID um, this week. And who knows what the world is going to be like next year, but I'm crossing my fingers and hair strands that we'll be able to do a hybrid one in the fall. And that's another reason why I'm waiting to the fall because I'm trying to figure out what's happening with COVID. Um, but nobody knows, who knows? Sure, sure. Well, I, I just want to be, I just want to be one of the people that thanks you for your tireless work. And I know it's a lot of hours and like you say, a lot of sacrifice on the weekends and after hours, but you've done so much for the Prince community at large and especially the intellectual academic wing of the Prince community. You've done wonderful work. And uh, I'd just like to say thank you so much for everything you do. And I know you've got a large uh, network of support from people online and in person as well. And I just wanted to say also that talking to you, it strikes me so much. Of course, we're recording this around Thanksgiving. And I wanted to express my gratitude to the associated artists and people that have participated in all this all these symposia and uh, volunteered their time and wisdom and stories um, it's a very very great thing and very very much deserving of of gratitude and recognition so I wanted to put that out there as well thank you so much to all the associated artists and people that have uh, participated in these symposia and really added to the depth and quality of the work. Yes. So thank I, you to yeah, everybody. Yes. I would like to actually um, talk about one more just to give more thanks to. <laughs> yes, artists. definitely. So the other one I would like to talk about is actually 2020's uh, DM40 GB30, which was 40 years of dirty mine and 30 years of graffiti bridge. And it's so important for me to talk about that one because of the keynote participants. Andre Simone um, was a keynote participant in that. And he not only participated once, but he participated twice. Um, it was really fun watching him watch um, the Ritz performance of Dirty Mine. Um, 
And he gave his um, commentary alongside Vernon Reed, as well as Nicolay and one of my friends, Jason Orr. So that was a sheer treat. Um, I didn't think he would say yes, but Andre did. So I am eternally thankful for Andre Simone. And anybody who knows me know um, that I absolutely adore Jill Jones. And Jill Jones also participated twice. And in fact, she is the only um, Prince associate that was there in the chat. She was there all three days. She was chatting with the fans and her commit was, commitment was extraordinary, but she actually, she and Jerome Bitten, another a person who I absolutely adore, um, they gave a live commentary to Graffiti Bridge. Jill had never watched Graffiti Bridge. So she was um, giving commentary to, to the film that she starred in, but she had never seen. So what was really amazing about that was that I was watching Jill responding to <laughs> watching you know, herself and watching the film. That was like one of the most extraordinary moments of all of the symposia and events that I've done is actually that moment. And then obviously Jerome was hilarious, you know, the way that Jerome is always hilarious. So I have to give massive thanks. And I also have mm -hmm. on my um, Under the Cherry Moon shirt today because um, I, I love the film so much and I, I love Jerome um, so much and his performance in that film. And so I just... If we're talking about, you know, um, the symposia, I cannot leave those three people out. Yeah, shout out to Andre, uh, Jill, and Jerome. You guys are amazing. And I actually did a, did a, a two-part interview with Jill. Actually, it was recorded as one long interview, but I had to break it up into two parts for, because when I first uploaded to YouTube, uh, there were restrictions on the channel because I hadn't verified my YouTube channel yet by that point. So I had to upload it in two parts, but that's on the YouTube channel as well as the uh, Blog Talk Radio Archive for the Purple Nights podcast. So check that out if you're interested. Love Jill. Have have chatted with her numerous times on Facebook Messenger. Uh, she was there to Linda Deer, when I needed somebody to talk to about grieving for Prince. So I, I really appreciate Jill Jones a lot. And also, as you say, props to Andre and Jerome, two wonderful guys. So before I let you go, D'Angela, I wanted to ask you a, a question which on the surface, the answer could seem very obvious right but i wanted to i wanted to get your thoughts on this as an academic professional and that is to say what do you think makes prince such a ripe and apt subject for academic analysis yeah, that, that actually, I get asked that a lot, actually. And um, it's just that Prince was so multifaceted. Um, he was much more than a song and dance man. Um, you know, so he, obviously he was an incredible musician, a fantastic songwriter, um, you know, multi-instrumentalist, as we all know, extraordinary vocalist. So in terms of musicology, he's a great study. But beyond that, you know, Prince was a businessman. He was an entrepreneur. He was um, future forward in thinking in terms of um, different distribution models. He was um, a tireless philanthropist. Um, he gave so much. Um, and he was always on the cutting edge um, in terms of like stage technology. And just, you know, just looking at his tours, um, obviously, Roy Bennett had a lot to do with that, but um, you know, Prince allowed him to do some incredible stuff um, in terms of the stage delivery. And there's, I mean, there's just so much to talk about. You can talk about race, you can talk about sexuality, you can talk about um, religion, you can just 
talk about so much when it, so, so he's just like full, chock full of um, academic study. Very, very cool. And, and as a, as a curator of symposia, you're right there on the cutting edge of, of academic work on prints. And are you excited for what the future holds as far as uh, prints and academia? Yes, I'm very excited. Um, I'm a, I, I know of one project that, I, that I'm, um, a, a friend of mine is going to do, but I don't want to um, announce it until they're ready to announce it. But I'm personally very excited about this project. And um, I'm going to follow in the footsteps of Kirstie and Mike and hopefully do my own edited volume um, of Prince essays directly from um, work from the symposia. So I'm looking forward to that. And I'm sure Kirstie and Mike um, are going to be doing something incredible moving forward with their Center for Prince Studies. So um, it's not stopping anytime soon. Very, very exciting stuff. And I just wanted to let everybody know you can follow D'Angelo on social media, Facebook and Twitter. It's both Polished Solid. So I'll have those those uh, links in the description box for the video and also for the audio on blogtalkradio.com and Apple Podcasts and Spotify. I'll have those links for you. Thank you so much, D'Angelo, for joining me today. And like I say, I appreciate your time and effort. And I know it's a lot of work and it's exhausting sometimes, but I hope you know that you have a large community of followers that really appreciate everything you do. And we're behind you 100%. Okay. So thank you very much. Thank you so much, Kristen. Everybody who's ever supported anything that Prince has done, because it's all about Prince at the end of the day. I just want everyone to be really clear. I'm only doing this for Prince. Great. Prince, Prince, we love you. We miss you. We'll continue to do the work. All right. So with that, I'm Chris Johnson. Thank you for watching on YouTube and streaming the audio on blogtalkradio.com, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. And until next time, this is Chris Johnson. Goodbye, everybody.